John, it's me, President Trump. I want to I wanna try out some of my speech from McCain's thing on you, the thing we got to go to. His thing? Yeah, you know, his thing. I've been waiting for a while. I've been keeping track and, and, t- and taking notes. I got some Jews writing some really good stuff. Let me let me try it out on you. See what you think, okay? John, John McCain. John McCain. <laughs> John, Senator McCain. I've never, I've never liked you much. Sanctimonious. Too sanctimonious, am I right, folks? Always always ready to take the credit, the glory, pat yourself on the back. Back when your arms worked, that is. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think. Like a pirate, but with, with peg arms instead of legs. Wait, hang on, hang on. I got, I got more, I got more. Uh, S- Senator McCain, <laughs> you look like a dried up little piece of sh- dog shit on the ground. Your wife, she used to be a looker, now she looks like shit too. A six, maybe a, a Sedona six, which is which is like a Palm Beach two, which is what she looks like—a total number two, Senator. Mister President, they tell me I'm supposed to fly the flags at half mast when a senator dies out of respect. I'm gonna do it out of respect for your your god awful penis that's been flying at half mast since the last time Cindy could get it up. Please, <laughs> sir. We, we... And your first wife, your first wife. Oof! If Ivana looked like that, I'd consider flying a plane into a lake in Hanoi too. I don't know what to say, honestly. Wait, 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 wait until you hear my close it, John. Hang on one second. This one's great. Senator, you've got some, some real stupid kids. Trust me. Trust me. I, I know what it's like to have stupid kids. Believe me. How about this? I, I know you can't stand Megan out there. She's schmoozing with the liberals and elites and the, and, the, and the fake news. How about we do a trade? I'll give you Tiffany. She can be your daughter for, for Megan. She, Megan becomes my daughter. But only only if she drops fifty pounds, Mr. President. No, because 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 then I can finally bang one of my kids, and it won't be wrong. No one can say anything. It's legit. I'll just I'll put a bag over her head, and I'll, I'll tape uh, Ivanka's picture to it. But but only if she loses weight, Senator. That's a deal breaker. What do you think, John? This is pretty good stuff, right? All due respect, Mr. President. These jokes are wildly inappropriate at this moment inappropriate that little homo from family guy was was way way meaner to me much much worse to me at my roast this isn't a comedy central roast sir this is a funeral and you've been asked not to speak and not to attend you're not invited huh okay get one of the broads in here i've got an idea for another executive order That makes it that you could never run for public office. Like, what's the one thing where it's the deal breaker? Nobody would ever elect you. Probably. Uh, I mean, I don't say Jewish because if we heard my Trump impression, I think we all know that he's actually Jewish. <laughs> Clearly, because my Trump impression is just a, a New York Jew, apparently. I was just gonna say the, uh, the, the the long comedy rap career that would also take you down. Yeah, that's true. That would take me down. There's no way we can get over that. No, I think so. Look, if this guy got in the White House, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. The, the comedy, you know what? It, what it would be? What I was thinking is um, atheism. Atheism would be the thing. Mm, yeah, 
Well, that and, and nobody gets elected. I, I just nobody gets elected atheist. No atheist gets elected with those kinds of people. They're just the worst. I just I can't do it. Imagine having to spend all that time with evangelicals. Like I mean, you have to spend like a hundred hours. Yeah. In churches and shit like that, and I felt terrible. My wife and I had to get you know married in the Catholic Church to make our families happy, but they knew that we you know we weren't bought into that and we weren't going to like continue on that path, even though we'd been raised that way. But we, um, I felt bad, a little guilty, just like going to all of the. They make you do all these things, dude. They make you go to these. Like you have to go to the rectory and you have to do all this like training and you have to sit there and learn about the fucking rhythm method and all this shit. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was there for that part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were my practice. Guy. And uh, but yeah, I, I, I could not. I don't think that would be the one thing where I would have to come out and say. I was talking to somebody about this recently. Do you think that Trump is our first atheist president? The first president who who I, I know that she, he lies about everything to like sure, yeah. political well, expediency and pretends it. he's religious and stuff like that. But do you? But you know that Donald Trump doesn't believe in God. There's no way he does. Well, to be fair, I I kind of think that most presidents are are atheists secretly. I mean, you think Obama was a see, secret atheist? I don't see how you can have that kind of a drive to like be in power and still be like I don't know. It's like it takes a certain kind of like person like a crazy person well i think what you're confusing you're confusing belief with pragmatism and those two things can be like there are scientists there are you know very spiritual scientists there are people who are absolute adherence to 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 that and um you know are and also are very religious which I, i i find to be a contradiction but i mean the fact that they exist obviously means it's not that much of a contradiction because they exist if it was you know, if it was disqualifying to believe in one thing and not the other, then there wouldn't be those people, I guess. But I don't know. I just wonder because I'm, I'm I'm sure that Donald Trump doesn't believe in in God. But you think like secret? Oh, not, secret, not a chance. Not you think chance. secretly Obama didn't believe in God? See, I never thought he did. That's why I'm saying like I, I just think that the drive to be president, I just can't imagine someone really giving a shit about about God and religion and stuff like that. I think they just do it because it's. You know, but you, you kind of have to to be in that world, just like you have to have kids and you have to do all that other stuff, you know? Probably the first atheist president was was Clinton. He was probably an atheist. Bush was famous, famously religious, obviously. but Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but Clinton, I'm, I'm pretty sure, gave nothing. I mean, like, again, we're talking about people who are completely dishonest. Honestly, Trump is, is the one who's probably the com- come the closest to just – out and out saying like the only reason I'm nice to evangelicals is for the political expediency. Uh, he treats he treats evangelicals the way that Democrats treat black voters, where it's just like it's just like who else are you going to vote for? You going to vote for the other yeah. side? You know, like what are you going to vote for them? It's so funny though the people in the middle though, like like just regular Christian Republicans that aren't evangelicals, how they they really do think he's like this man of God because of that. Like they're really duped by that. It's really strange. That's the weirdest gaslighting of of all the Trump stuff is the one where it's like, no, no, no. He's actually incredibly, um, he's incredibly pious and a very religious man. He's been to church like four times in his life. This one friend of the family actually uh, tried to tell us that Donald, Donald J. Trump has never done cocaine before. 
I, I might believe that. No, he did cocaine, definitely, definitely. But he is, he is. You know what he is? Is he's a weird body freak where he won't do, um, he won't do, he won't do anything that that makes him. Uh, that's a personality type. That weird, addictive sociopath personality that will that is in such that is so afraid of being out of control that they won't touch alcohol like he he very famously has never had a drink of alcohol in his life which right right should absolutely never trust a person like that yeah that's like like that yeah well i did just hear this week that he has eight diet cokes a day which yeah yeah. i mean that that means he's already lost control at that point i don't even have that replacement (laughs) replacement shit uh i'm q and i'm jewish dave this is bird road this is bird road so subscribe rate review uh follow us on instagram follow us on twitter um dave we got big news what what did we just find out this i week just found out about not bird just road. this week but just now that we're now on spotify that's right we're now on spotify <laughs> i guess you forgot to tell me that <laughs> I forgot to tell you that. I think you were Sorry, just trying to Dave. surprise we're... me right here on air. I think that was that was the goal. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what was going on. Um, once again, we're not on Facebook. Please, we are on Facebook, on Facebook, but you know, please, please don't try to be friends with me on Facebook. <laughs> uh, and whatever you do, I can't stress enough that I don't want you to message me on Facebook. <laughs> you can email birdroadpodcast at allpointswest.net. Nobody reads that, and. Um, <laughs> You can also check out, by the way, the most recent episode of the Potentium podcast with Joseph Fanning. I was on last week. Rapid fire news uh, analysis, moving from one issue to the next very quickly. Not not a great fit for me as I'm more of a you know pedantic talker. I, I tend to spend time, too much time usually on things. And uh, yeah, so let's get into the uh, Florida primaries, Dave. This wonderful primary night about the fact that uh, conservative talk show host uh, uh, John Cardillo from um, <laughs> John Cardillo from Newsmax. Well, I, it was me who picked a fight with him, I guess. But um, on Twitter, just <laughs> just said uh, that we that I host a random insignificant podcast and um, that my chins and my gut make it look like I know my way around a cake. <laughs> now this was in this was in reply to me saying this guy's pretty cool actually he's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> um, this was in reply to me saying because uh, he had he 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 started shit with I don't know with uh, I don't know who started it I don't know I just saw it happening in my timeline so he said to friend of the podcast Jerry Ionelli from the Miami New Times they were going back and forth about something irrelevant to the conversation and he said it's okay talking to jerry he said it's okay no one knows knows who you are and i replied to him not every i've seen this guy because mark caputo of politico has gotten into some real heated arguments with this guy and he's just like a total maga chud moron and i just i I like just tweeting at people like that because it's fun and i said not everyone can be a newsmax co-host and look like a registered cake offender and he said, and that, that's why he replied to me with with the with with that comment. So um, anyway, he can't get me down. 
He can't get me down, Dave, because tonight no. in Florida, we elected uh, probably the most progressive major party candidate ever um, to represent one of the uh, to to um, compete for the uh, gubernatorial race, which will be happening obviously in November. Tonight was primary night in Florida. Some interesting results that we're going to talk about, um, but more more than anything, the big news is Andrew Gillum, mayor of Tallahassee, uh, son of Richmond Heights, Miami, uh, a, a South Florida guy, and uh, probably the most competitive, probably, no, definitely the most progressive of the slate of Democrat candidates that were running in, in this primary, of which there were a lot. It was a pretty loaded field of um billionaires and millionaires, very wealthy people who put a lot of their own money and a lot of establishment money behind their ca- their campaigns. Uh, Gillum is not wealthy. He is the only candidate that was had a serious chance of winning who is not a millionaire or a billionaire. Um, mm-hmm. And he, as recently as two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I think he was polling in fourth place and he just surged in the last two weeks, got a lot of celebrity endorsements and sort of outside attention to his campaign, which is fine. But um, whatever, he got those souls to the polls and he, he managed to um, to pull out a victory in, in, in the primary. And so we're really psyched here, all of us who, um, you know, this guy is not like a firebrand. He's not he's not an, like an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is obviously a different type of progressive, a, more of a DSA uh, socialist um, Democratic Socialist candidate who's based in a place where that actually can work a lot easier right. than it can in Florida. <laughs> in Florida, nonetheless, he has a lot of the right positions on a lot of the right issues. Um, it's very exciting. He's he, if he wins, should he win and defeat uh, Ron DeSantis in November, um, he will be the first black governor in the history of of this state. Awesome. One of the first black governors ever, because there are there have been shockingly few black governors in the history of our country when you actually go back and look through all 50 states in the history of the 50 states um, there haven't been that many and uh, he will presumably if he maintains this kind of uh, directional this directional momentum it's I mean it seems like he he, he it's his to lose he's going to be going up against Ron DeSantis who got twice as many primary votes as him um, so I was just going to only... ask, was how, how well did this guy do? So DeSantis, uh, who listeners of the show or anybody who's been paying attention to Fox News or, or really any Florida media know, DeSantis is sort of a Trump proxy. He did, he He's less embedded in uh, Florida political structure than he is in D.C. and in the Fox News ecosystem. His campaigning was really more by virtue of being... Um, Trump adjacent and Trump supported and he was going up against Adam Putnam who is currently uh, our agriculture commissioner and Putnam was more of a sort of I don't want to call him a centrist Republican because there's really no such thing anymore but he was more of a a moderate Republican I guess I don't know he just was not he wasn't a he tried to hem he tried to hew towards being in that Trump camp he tried to push himself right because in a in a in a primary, he, he kind of had to do that, but there was just no catching DeSantis. And of the registered Republicans out there, they, um, you know, they, the, the same thing that attracted them to Trump 
attracted them to DeSantis because they're they're virtually the same kind of slick, sleazy, uh, white ethno state type guys. And the point of concern, if you're somebody who's rooting for Gillum or who's rooting for for uh, for a Democrat to to take back the Florida governor's house, would be like I said, DeSantis got more than twice as many votes. Right. But he was only going against Putnam. Putnam was his only real challenger. And he wiped the floor with Putnam. Um, Gillum, as as recently as a week ago, nobody thought Gillum was gonna was gonna win this. And he had, like I said at the at the top of the show, he had three well moneyed, well healed candidates that he was going up against: billionaire weirdo creep uh, Jeff Green, who is like a Mar-a-Lago member, and as far as I can <laughs> tell, like that's his biggest claim to fame is that he's a member of Mar-a-Lago and doesn't like Donald Trump. So. He he was running and throwing a lot of his own money because uh, like he had some weird thing where he he claimed that he told off Donald Trump in Mar-a-Lago and somehow he got some notoriety off of that and uh, so Jeff Green who uh, came in third place uh, fourth place I'm sorry um, third runner up fourth place and second runner up was former Miami Beach mayor. Uh, Phil Levine, who's if you follow close Miami politics stuff, and especially if you follow um, one of our one of our friends here on the podcast, Billy Corbin, uh, director of Cocaine Cowboys, uh, and a sort of a Miami mini celebrity, I guess uh, you, you know that Philip Levine is a total piece of shit. He has this sort of reputation as being like a a technocrat type, a um, for every problem there's an app type of guy a guy who wants to like innovate his way out of every issue and he uh takes a lot. he's very annoying <laughs> he was a really he was, a, he, he was one of those guys that that left miami beach markedly worse than he found it but somehow has this weird reputation through like very good pr for having been a successful mayor one of those guys infuriating by the way infuriating kind of person and then there was Gwen Graham, who was actually the front runner, um, who was sort of the establishment backed. Uh, she had a lot of establishment backed candidates. She had a lot of heat from, uh, you know, sort of behind the Me Too movement. And um, she split the big vote, the big hunk of votes. If you add, if you if you say every Gwen Graham voter will in November show up and vote for uh, Gillum, then like, yeah, OK, you've got. A very competitive race, but like I said, man, this was a much more splintered primary than the Republican one was. Don't know how many people. It, it was also. It wasn't. There wasn't like a lot of bad feeling behind it, and of the fights and sort of infighting between the candidates, nobody really like Gillum. Gillum was the one who sort of was above the fray. Nobody really took shots at him so much. Whatever. I'm not going to go go down the rabbit hole of all the things that are wrong with with um, Andrew Gillum because I'm psyched about him being our. Uh, our, our candidate right now um it's it's good man it's like <sighs> one fucking we finally got one dude <laughs> yeah seriously after the uh showing we had here in nevada it's nice to hear you guys are doing all right and it's not a little one dude it's the third largest state in the union sure it's the third largest state in the union and what it sets up that i think is really fascinating is i feel like since november 2016 the country, both sides, Trump supporters and, uh, you know, Hillary supporters or or people on the left have wanted 
to relitigate it. Not beyond just like Twitter complaining and fighting with each other on the online or these little special elections here and there. I think what people have wanted is like a replay. Both people. I think that Trump, the the more delusional Trump people think that they wipe the floor with Hillary every time that Trump is invincible and none of his candidates will ever lose or anybody who's like a proxy for him will ever lose ever again because it's just a movement that is much bigger than it actually really is. Right. And, and I think Hillary people, and to some degree, to, to some degree me, I think that they see this as sort of like a Seton Hall versus Georgetown, which I know is a uh, reference that's lost on you because it's a sports reference. But um, <laughs> it was just like this little team, Seton Hall, that played against uh, this powerhouse Georgetown team for the national title um, back in the 80s and played a perfect game and won. And most people agree that if they played 10 times or 100 more times, Georgetown would probably win all the rest of the times. And I think that there's a, 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 a sort of belief on the left that if there was another another Clinton versus Trump election that that she, that she would win far more often than she would lose and that it was a fluke and all this like sort of excuse making that people that people make I kind of do believe that a little bit I believe that if they held the election again the very next day that she probably would have won but fucking guess what they didn't that's not the way elections work so she lost um but this race is going to be the closest thing to that to itching that scratch that people are going to get before 2020 this is going to be the big sort of the big proxy match for maga chuds progressive leftists there there's no centrism in this in this contest andrew gillum made this surge not by accident not by being black not by appeals to the heart but by staking out fresh ground on progressive issues and by saying i'm the candidate that's to the left of everybody in this race and i'm going to stay that way and that's what's going to win to his credit ron desantis an absolute piece of garbage did the same thing on the right he said i am the trump candidate the president has backed me i support every if you don't like the president tough shit Here's a here's a video, a campaign video of my daughter building a wall to keep Mexicans out of our kitchen. Like, I mean, he he made no bones about who he is. This is not going to be Hillary versus Trump part two. This is going to be what would have happened if it was Bernie versus Trump is what Mm -hmm. it's going to be, because Gillum's platform far more closely uh, mirrors what Bernie's was and what Bernie's continues to be. And. I mean, Bernie was even campaigning with him in recent days. So I'm pretty psyched about it. I think we're going to learn a lot about Florida. I have high hopes for my state right now, even though, you know, we should mention uh, our our, our preferred candidate, Michael Hepburn, um, who was running for our to be our new new congressman, replacing Ileana Roslett in in congressional district number 27. Uh, came in a disappointing fifth place with 6% of the votes. Um, It happens. The winner. Yeah. uh, (laughs) People are using that as like a sort of an attack on Ocasio-Cortez by saying that since he was an Ocasio-Cortez back candidate, it shows how weak her endorsement is. I mean, Michael Hepburn was outspent literally 100,000 to one. Everybody, right. everybody, all the, the four people ahead of him uh, all had 
an insane amount of support from the the um uh the establishment uh they had their own support they had their own network i mean the person who won the primary um not as handily as you would think but won the primary uh, donna shalala former university of miami president former um head of the clinton foundation uh, she's she's like i said like we've said before she's a, a, a hillary clinton proxy and in, in every way, including the pocketbook. So she's got, she's going to be going up against Maria Elvira Salazar, who is, you don't know who she is unless you um, have some familiarity with Spanish language media. She's a, um, a uh, formerly, I think most people probably know her from her time at Univision. Um, she was also at Telemundo. Uh, she was with CNN for, for, for some time. She's like a, an anchor broadcast journalist type uh, who has always had one foot in the political arena and has always been sort of active. Um, she's well-known in Miami. Uh, but again, and I mean, she's she's one of these who's painting herself sort of like the way that we talk about Carlos Carbello, painting themselves as the the centrist solution, uh, the bipartisan person who's willing to like reach across the aisle and, and be a sensible Republican, but also being very careful not to disparage the great Donald Trump. So she won the GOP side of Congressional District 27. I feel like it doesn't really matter that much. Um, Hillary Clinton won my Congressional District by 25 points mm. in 2016. This is, and Donna Shalala, like I said, is basically just Hillary, like a Hillary Clinton with, you know, a slightly different face. <laughs> so she's, <laughs> she's going to be, she's going to be our, 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 um, our next congressperson. Again, big problems with her. Um, obviously, she's better than any Republican, but she, big problems with her in terms of uh, her environmental record, her record on criminal justice, her record on um, on her stance for uh, for health care. Um, she's now saying that a time that she said that she would never uh, support universal health care, she was joking around when she said <laughs> that. Um, I honestly have... I don't know. Hilarious. It's a, it's a great joke. It's fucking hilarious. Um, that's that's what's going on in the primaries. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't want to get my, my hopes up too much, but if, not, if for nothing else, you got a day. You got you got one day of, of being proud of your uh, state. So hopefully, it'll be more than just that. No, I was actually. Um, I was. I was thinking that when. Gillum sort of surged ahead, B- Broward County. Uh, do you know what Broward County is, Dave? Do people outside of South Florida know what Broward County is? Know. Like, are they familiar with Not that? Even a little bit. Is it well enough known? Okay, Broward County is the county immediately north of. You know what Miami Dade County is, right? Yes. You've heard of Miami Dade County? O- only, okay, only county once you moved right? there. Before that, I'd never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> so Miami Dade County is where I live. I actually live in, um, uh, like, right in in the county, uh, in the unincorporated area. So directly to the north of us is Broward County, and Broward County is infamously terrible at doing elections. <laughs> like there's, they're the ones where back in 2016, you actually, you or Gina were messaging me about like what the hell is going on with South right, Florida, right. and there was the one. You remember the one county that was gray at like 2 a.m. and people still yeah. didn't know what the results oh were. God. That's Broward County. <laughs> So Broward County was also one of the culprits back in 2000. Obviously, we don't have to you know revisit that. Everybody knows what happened back in 2000 um, under this uh, election commissioner, Brenda Snipes. They've continued to be just powerfully incompetent. They're the second, I think, the second largest county in the state, in the in the nation's third largest state. 
um, that includes Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, uh, Hallandale, um, you know, Miramar, other really sort of big metrop- metropolitan areas or ex- suburban and exurban areas. And uh, all of a sudden, they started counting Broward late, hours late, as usual. The lead that Gwen Graham had just disappeared immediately, like in the first batch of returns from Broward. And I, I'm telling you this because I said the same thing to myself. I was like, you know what? For these 10 minutes, I'm going to enjoy this guy potentially being our next governor. Because who knows? Maybe some you know panhandle votes come down or maybe, you know... They get like a, a whole, you know, a box fell under a car somewhere of of, of <laughs> unread uh, or or unentered re- results from like you know White Lady Landia or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, maybe she maybe she comes back, maybe she beats him. But for for this moment, I'm gonna enjoy it. So uh, I'm enjoying it right now. That's good. Like to do handstands with you. I like to do handstands <laughs> every time I think of you. Every time I think of you. <laughs> oh wait, no. I know. I know what I want to talk about, and this is still with uh, the topic of the Florida primaries, Dave. Um, I want to talk to you about Daphne Campbell. Have we talked about Daphne Campbell on this show before? I don't think so. Okay, Daphne Campbell is a member of the Florida House of Representatives, and she represents uh, the 38th district, which is like Miami Beach, North Miami, um, a lot of sort of um, heavy, heavily Haitian parts of of the northern part of the county. And uh, she's been in that position oh, for about I think two years now, and she's been politically active for a while. She um, she's she's just a goddamn treasure. She is a, a Haitian woman um, who, if you look at her voting record, and she's a she's a Democrat. You look at her voting record; she's simply not a Democrat. She votes like very strongly down the down the conservative line in the uh, in the state house. Um, she somehow uh, she well. Let me start it over. She was accused. Uh, by the by, the Democrat Party, uh, by the state party, of not actually, <laughs> not actually being a Democrat, and they said this because they were basically, um, because they were planning to, the party was planning to support her challenger in the um, upcoming primary, the the primary that happened tonight, uh, Jason Pizzo, who's a more uh, sort of traditional Democrat, um, like a local local political type, and. Daphne Campbell's the absolute best because it you know it takes a special kind of corrupt and like overtly over the top not giving a shit to grab your attention if you live in Florida and especially if you live in South Florida if you live in Miami because so many things happen behind the scenes and you just know that you're you know you just know you're always getting fucked over by the people who are in charge because it's such a disaster of a place but it has all this money and <laughs> where is it all going? Um, so, where's the money, Daphne? <laughs> where's the money, <laughs> Daphne? I'll tell you exactly where the money is. I want to. Sh- I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you a few fun things. Hang on. 
So I'm going to share with you first a video of Daphne Campbell's 60th birthday celebration. Okay. So you see the, the white guy on the right that's giving her a gift? Now, that guy's a, a lobbyist. And he's giving her like a very fancy, you know, I don't know what that is. What is that? Dolce uh-huh. Gabbana type purse. This is for her 60th birthday. Now watch real close. What did he do? He put something back in his... Yeah, in what was that? It was a... Wa- it was a wad of hundred dollar bills. <laughs> I couldn't see it because it was on my phone. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it was a wad of like of, of cash that he just stuffed into a purse that he just gave her. Um, so Daphne Campbell also during a time when ninety nine percent of the uh, state was I'm sorry when ninety nine percent of the county was without power um, used her position to press her contacts at FPL, our power utility company, to um, get her get her power turned back on first. And in doing this, she basically uh, used the excuse that her her mother needed um, you know some medical assistance because she needed power in her house because of um, you know medical equipment that was required. And uh, come to find out her mother's been dead since 1996 or something like that. And then she gets cornered by a reporter and tells the reporter, um, oh, no, Haitian people, we call we call everybody our mother. (laughs) That's a cultural thing. You don't understand. (laughs) On two other occasions when she's been pinned down in public by reporters with tough questions, um, Daphne Campbell calls the police on them. She has a record of calling the police on the reporters uh miami herald reporter was asking her some tough questions couldn't get anywhere with her sat down to file her story in a restaurant and like 15 20 minutes later like two cops show up and ask the reporter hey are you so and so uh and the reporter's like yes and the cops say we got to report that you're harassing somebody (laughs) so um the again this is a woman who runs as a democrat in a haitian uh heavily haitian heavily black district uh state district um has this like long history of in her short time in office this like long history of uh of just blatant corruption and also the other the as if that's not enough it's also very unlikely that she lives in her district she but hidden and ducked and dived and tried to dodge anybody asking her about this. So she's just, you know, for anybody out there who says that we're like completely partisan, this woman's a Democrat and she's the worst, but I love her too much to, to criticize her too much. Still, I want you to sit back and I want you to watch probably the best campaign video that's ever been made in the history of campaign videos. It's kind of long. You don't have to watch the whole thing. But I just want to capture the joy um, in your in your in your laugh as you watch this incredible Daphne's song. Yeah, yeah. You, trust me, you want to turn up the volume on this. <laughs> 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 
You gotta admit, the rap song I produced for Michael Weiss is better than this. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? I don't know, Mike. Okay, that's probably enough of that. <laughs> I just realized that I had four more minutes to go. I was like, I think I'm it. it. Let me tell you one thing about that video. It never ends. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So, yeah, I was going to talk more about the toxic, toxic algae bloom um, in our B block now. Uh, the, the This is a problem that's you know being mostly perpetrated. If you don't know, have you guys heard about this outside, I haven't heard of, about outside it at of all. Uh, Florida here? Are you guys no. seeing any like national news? Okay, so we've got one of the worst. To- <clears throat> we, every year we get algae blooms here, and... Um, <laughs> We always get these algae blooms. It's a complete disaster. The algae blooms come from, um, you know, from Lake Okeechobee, and and uh, I'm probably not even getting that right. I'm not even fucking sure where they come from. Um, but they're terrible. They're horrible for the environment. It's just like the entire, all the lakes and the rivers and the canals, uh, get covered in this disgusting green film, kills everything in them. Um, it's mostly due to toxic runoff from our uh, our out of control sugar industry that is like choking this this dying peninsula um, year after year to death because it has it, it they just like dump cash into every legislator's uh, coffers and just take complete advantage of it and. What's different this year is it's goddamn heartbreaking, dude. It's it's hitting the west coast of Florida, and um, it's a, it's at a point where there are stretches of the beach on in southwest Florida where everything is dead. It's what's called a red tide, where all of the all of the the life just kind of washes up on the shore and is dead. It's like something out of a fucking. Uh, it's like something out of a dystopian, you know, out of a dystopian reality or some sort of novel or some shit, but it's not, you know, and this coupled with the news just yesterday, the official amendment of the tally of, of the dead people in Puerto Rico, um, you know, I was I was reading the um, the the Chapo book just came out and obviously no shit people, the people who are on this podcast are going to be fans of that book, but I was listening to the audiobook recently and like like a few days after it came out and um one of the chapters made the point that with uh, you know islands that are being swallowed up by uh um you know environmental impacts in places like puerto rico climate change isn't coming you know the the disaster the the apocalypse isn't coming it's here we just don't live there yet sure and that's absolutely the fucking case because i can literally almost fucking smell this shit from my house at this point. It's just a few miles away. It's here. It's absolutely here. And nobody is talking about it in the terms that it needs to be talked about. Everybody is um, putting very like, you know, uh, wallowing sad mess uh, posts on social media about all the manatees dying and shit, but there's not a single fucking person who's outlining something to do. Enter another result from tonight's um 
primary, which this one, less of a surprise, obviously, current governor, future senator, uh, Rick Scott, Republican, um, you know, sort of proto Tea Party Trump Republican who has hemmed a little bit more to the center recently, but is, you know, no doubt going to um, is, is he's running for Senate now and he's no doubt going to try to, uh, you know, continue all the practices, policies that he's perpetrated during his 10 years, goddamn 10 years as governor. Um, it's crazy. But um, he's running against Senator Bill Nelson, who, as far as I can tell, has been in the Senate 173 years and hasn't done a goddamn thing but send out just the most milk toast press releases on like a, a, a predetermined schedule, uh, you know, announcing happy fucking hot dogs in school day and happy fucking, you know, uh, third week of Hispanic Heritage Month day and shit like that. Like the most anodyne track record that there is it's frustrating this guy won't fight back so burgess everett and mark caputo from politico both tag teamed on a story this week called uh democrats fret nelson is choking in florida senate race nelson's laid-back style and fundraising deficit have left democrats concerned that rick scott will trounce him it starts off with some fucking anecdote about (laughs) claire mccaskill almost choking to death in uh in in a democrat caucus luncheon and Bill Nelson being too much of a pussy to like give her the Heimlich maneuver, and um, <laughs> but it moves into analysis of this race, right? Because it's going to be Rick Scott, who's never lost a race in Florida, um, who's coming off of two, who's terming out after two successful terms. You know, I mean, define successful. He rode the coattails of a of a recovering economy during the um, the Obama years, <laughs> and now is claiming to, you know. Claiming to have created all these jobs that were really just fucking like Burger King cashier jobs for the most part. Everybody in Florida is poor. Everybody in Florida is sick. Everybody in Florida is surrounded by a toxic environment. Um, our transportation system is a fucking disaster after 10 years. Our education system is somehow worse than it was uh, 10 years ago. And Florida, trust me, the Florida educational system is not known for fucking splitting the atom. All right. And the... Uh, the fact that this guy in recent polling is wiping the floor with Bill Nelson is a huge concern for the Democrats because they actually thought there was this glimmer of hope that we, we talked about this, about the, um, the the potential for the Democrats to take back the Senate. This very, very far outside chance that they could potentially do it. They had to run the table mm-hmm. on all their candidates in a year where they could very easily, not easily, but they could run the table maintain all their candidates, and win a couple, right? So McCain, as we mentioned at the skit at the top of the show, um, he's not going to be running in the next, in, in 2020. Out of nowhere in Texas, uh, Beto O'Rourke has caught up to Ted Cruz, um, and there's a few other seats out there like that that have gone into the sort of toss-up col- uh, column or the, you know, the more like uh, wait-and-see column and, and that, that were firmly Republican, right? But again, Democrats have to win fucking everything. Oh, yeah. Tim Heller's probably going to lose. Um, Jeff Flake's going to leave, and the person who's going to replace him could be a Democrat. Um, but, but Democrats have to win everything. Enter doofy-ass fucking Bill Nelson, who, as far as I can tell, has not started campaigning. Hasn't said a single word about 
being up for re-election, hasn't done a single fucking thing that would make people actually want to vote for him. And just like reading the tea leaves and seeing what our st- what's getting our state excited, candidates like Gillum, you know, people that are more dynamic that are that are that are getting people excited enough to go register. It's just it's going to be a real nut shot, man, because this guy Gillum, if he if he gets into the to, to office, there's only so much he can do. There's only so much any Democratic um, governor can do if the federal government is still controlled by Republicans. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, and all of 20 minutes since it's been called Matt Dixon and Mark Caputo again from Politico, Florida's governor's race, shocker, Florida governor's race, shocker, sets up Trump-fueled showdown. Uh, Democrat Andrew Gillum shocked Florida's political class Tuesday night and became the first black nominee for governor in the nation's largest swing state, setting up a November showdown against Ron, Repres- <laughs> Ron DeSantis, <laughs> who won the GOP primary with enthusiastic backing of President Donald Trump. Gillum's 33 to 31% victory over uh, former Rep. Uh, Gwen Graham, fueled by grassroots energy and big dollar donors, Present, uh, presents Florida voters with the starkest of choices in style and substance come November 6. Gillum is a Bernie Sanders-endorsed Medicare for All candidate. DeSantis is a Trump ally who voted several times to abolish Obamacare. Gillum is a dynamic speaker who wows liberal crowds with his deep voice. He is a good speaker. Uh, he he had a great line in, the, in the, one of the first questions at one of the gubernatorial debates this year. Where he was, um, you know, debating uh, the other, he was up there with like I think five or six other other candidates, and um, they had kind of not given him a lot of time, and they there had just been a you know another one of these sort of police uh, involved shooting of an of an African American. I don't remember if it, if it was here or if it was in another state, but the um, the moderator basically asked a question about, you know, what can be done about this problem of, of um, you know, unequal application of the law and um, the, the criminal justice problem with black people being killed by uh, in the streets by police officers. And he, he said, uh, Mayor Gillum, I'll start with you. And he just had this really slick line where he was like, yeah, I wonder why you're starting with me. <laughs> and everybody in the auditorium started laughing. It was really good. Um, and that's when that was like the second time I'd ever seen him. The first time I'd seen him was at a um, was at a live podcast taping with the uh, Florida Act- our friends over at the Florida Action Cast at a um, bar here in Miami. And uh, I remember being impressed with him. I liked him better than a lot of the um, other candidates that they were talking to. And uh, you know, I attended a few of those. It was like back during the winter. And uh, or the early spring, I should say. And um, yeah, man, I don't know where I was going with any of this. This is going to be a hard episode to edit. <laughs> At least it exists. Dave, love, hate. Dave, love, hate. Love, hate. What, what do you got? Okay. You um, first thing that I love um, is uh, Weird Al Yankovic finally got his star on the Walk of Fame, the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame, which is a long time coming. And this is a little bit lighter topic than anything we've talked about on the show today, but uh, I'm super excited about it. And uh, during his... Uh, during his acceptance of it, he said, uh, 
please don't pickaxe my star uh, unless at some point in the future I do something unfathomably monstrous and evil, in which case, go ahead. It makes sense, um, which, which I love. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Weird Al's the best. Weird Al is awesome. I'm glad that they uh, they finally recognize his genius. And Tom um, Lennon was one of the people there to uh, help him celebrate. Okay, so my love for this week is the outing of one of the shittiest hack journalist that's out there um i don't want to go too deep into it all i'll say is that like if you want to learn more about it um there's a twitter handle that you can that you can follow uh, who has um documented just the shoddy bullshit reporting of um selena zito who is sort of a uh this character who kind of she's been a a, an op-ed writer a, a loosely referred to as a, as a reporter um, for years uh, at, at, at various outlets who's like, you know, kind of like thinly veiled conservative tendencies. And um, what this account did, which I can't even find it anymore. Oh, here it is. So what this account did, which is called the, the account is an anonymous account called inanimate carbon rod. And it's a at rod underscore inanimate is they, um, documented what appear to be a lot of fabrications on her part in her writing, particularly they focused on her book. Um, I'm not going to get into all of them, but basically just say that she, she, this woman made her, made her, her, her name in the, in the months after Trump and years after the Trump election by saying, um, by, by kind of hitting the ground and doing the bootstrap or the boot leather, you know, on the ground reporting that you have to do to go talk to the people and somehow all of the people sound exactly like what her Republican talking points are. And somehow all of them are sort of uh, either anonymous or when you Google who they actually are in her book, they're presented as undecided voters or independents or people who used to like Obama, but now don't like him so much. But when you do even the, uh, like a modicum of searching for them, you see that they're like they're they're not just Republicans, but they're members of their local you know republican party and they're like elected officials uh you know like like elected dog catchers of the republican party i mean these are people who are not at all what Mm. she presents them to be um she went silent for about four days or something like that after the uh after these allegations were made a lot of other people in the past uh one of my favorite accounts on twitter uh urban achiever or brant as a lot of people call him um is uh it has has also made made a, a, a bit of a hobby out of poking holes in her obviously doctored and made up quotes. I mean, she'll use quotes from people that use this really like esoteric reporter language, and then if you Google through her own writing, you'll see that they're words that she uses a lot. So it's clear that either she doctored the quotes or she just made them up entirely. And um, I, I just really loved seeing her sort of get get disassembled and, and somebody to finally, you know, give her a little bit of fact checking because obviously her editors at the post don't do it. Um, her editors at all the other, you know, shit organizations that she works at don't that uh, don't do it. She's constantly on things like meet the press and, um, you know, Don Lemon's show and on CNN all over the place and just kind of feeds. She's, she's a, 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 a grifter. She's just one of these like fake, Trump whisperer people who claims to who's like selling the snake oil of understanding the mind of the Trump voter 
and why he won uh when really it's just her own her her own agenda forced on you from uh sort of like foisted on you through you know fake quotes and made up bullshit um crazy that she has pretty pretty soon that's going to be what what's going to be in the top of the google search results right yeah when trump gets his way yeah no selena zito will be like the number one reported the the, the top reporter first page when uh and actually still when i google her it's funny that this guy was complaining about that shit because when i when you google selena zito right now all you get are her most recent um her most recent articles that by the way everybody should be questioning every word in them now because it should be like the scene from shattered glass which i know is in a movie that a lot of people saw but it was about um you know the 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 what's his name Stephen glass the reporter from um from the new republic who was found out to be a serial fabulist and a serial um uh, uh you know liar basically uh and the scene where um what's his name scarsgard what's what's scarsgard's first name alexander scarsgard alexander or peter scarsgard I think Alexander, no, the younger one, Alexander, the scene where Alexander Skarsgård looks at the wall of magazines and realizes that he has to take every single one of them down and pour through every word of every article that this guy wrote, because where there's a problem, usually there's way more problems. And this shit is true. I will tell you, having worked in a newsroom, people start doctoring quotes, people start massaging quotes and shaping things to fit their story it starts off innocent maybe in her case it didn't i mean she's a pretty you know i've heard tell that she's basically you know funded by 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 sort of shady interests or or or, um like coke money basically that uh you know want her out there telling these stories in in this specific way and if you read any of her shit you, you see that you know she's absolutely pushing an agenda um and it just made me really happy to see somebody finally kind of holding her to account. And even if it's just an anonymous shitty Twitter account that did their homework and um, hopefully she's hopefully there's there's some comeuppance, although these days I really just I doubt that there is. Um, I'm, I'm going to my hate was going to be about how my computer's all fucked up and uh, that, that's completely taking over my life this week. But rather than uh, go into that, I'm going to do a, uh, a second quick love um, and as I was watching, uh, the history of comedy on CNN and, uh, they were talking about comedians that died and they were talking about Phil Hartman and Mike Myers told this story, uh, about how they were backstage at SNL and he was talking with John Lovitz, um, and, and, uh, Phil Hartman's wife murdered him and then murdered herself, uh, committed suicide. And, uh, Mike Myers is like, God, I, I, I can't believe she murdered Phil. And John Lovitz goes, oh, come on. You're making it sound worse than it was. <laughs> <laughs> he said they laughed for like an hour straight. <laughs> Him and everyone else. Was My hate, the thing that got to me this week was just hearing the audio of the Jacksonville shooting. Obviously, we had another mass shooting here in Florida. By Florida mass shooting standards, it, I guess, wasn't that bad. Although, tell that to the people who whose family died or were shot. Um, two gamers at uh, a Madden tournament in Jacksonville were killed. And then, I guess, one of the competitors 
um, who uh, was the perpetrator, uh, took his own life. So three people died in that mass shooting. Um, last I had seen this, uh, last I had seen it was uh, 11 people were injured. So, yeah, man. They, they, I mean, like, there are mass shootings all the time. And I guess this one was novel because of where it happened and because of the audio that was captured during it. It was at, like, a Dave & Buster's type pizza place, a Chicago pizza or something like that. And, yeah, during, um, during an officially sanctioned EA Sports uh, Madden tournament. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I don't know. The audio just kind of got to me. and you know, Oh, yeah. It was get- terrible. The video was terrible. All of it's terrible. And uh, also, I mean, of course, you know, the people dying is the worst part. But, I mean, also, like, they were supposed to do the next round of the tournament here in Las Vegas, and they just canceled it. And yeah, it's like, I, I don't care about the tournament necessarily, but, like, just the fact that they would cancel something when, I mean, there's no reason to think <laughs> because something like that happened in one place. Yeah, but place. don't you think, like, don't you think that that's not, that specific thing has less less to do with, uh, with them thinking that it's going to happen again and more out of sensitivity for Vegas being Vegas and still only like a year out of. I suppose that's possible. Yeah, that, Maybe it's, that, I would think it's just a PR hard, thing. That shows how heartless I, just I am. Think, I forgot about Route 91. <laughs> I mean, like, I think that that's probably what it is. I think it, I would imagine that they don't want they being Madden or EA Sports probably don't want a, you know, Kotaku or Gizmodo headline saying the next one of these tournaments is being held in Vegas almost exactly a year after the um, right. after the uh, the the Route 94 shooting. So Makes sense. I think that that's more of like a. I don't want to say a PR move because that's kind of cold and callous to call it that. I would, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and just say that it's a, um, just like a, a decency, a thing of, of decency. I sure, guess. sure. Guess, look, Gillum won tonight. I'm in all types of like charitable moods. I'm dropping my cynicism. I'm, I'm being slightly less dead on the inside. <laughs> um, you know, just a tad. Just a tad. Uh, what's going on over on piecing it together this week, Dave? Well, um, first of Nothing. all, we, we just we just hit two thousand downloads, which I'm very proud of. Holy snap! It's pretty sweet. And uh, if all goes well, and I can get my computer back up and running, and I can get it edited, uh, I just recorded an episode um, with actually with Jason Harris, who was on our live episode, uh, comedian Jason Harris, and also writer. Um, he came on to talk about Eighth Grade, which is one of the best movies of the year so far. And so. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. It should be a great episode, and hopefully, it's not lost in my destroyed computer. But I don't think it is. But if it's not up Friday, it'll be up by Monday, I'd say. <sighs> <laughs> Fuck! Don't you think if you listen maybe- closely, your cues his desire to do any of this just slipping away from. It's funny you say that. It's like a spirit lifting. <laughs> one of my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts is um, a podcast called Citations Needed, um, starring uh, Adam Johnson and uh, Nima Shirazi. And another one of my favorite podcasts is um, the uh, The Intercept with um, Jeremy Scahill, obviously from the uh, from. I'm sorry, the podcast is called Intercepted. It's published by The Intercept. Jeremy Scahill, obviously, uh, along with Glenn Greenwald, uh, are the primary folks over there. Um, and they took all of August off. Dave, what do you think about taking September off? What if we just take September off of Bird Road? 
I mean, we can <laughs> we have to have a month on in order to take a month. Can we talk off. about this right now, live on the podcast? <laughs> I mean, can you take so, uh, a month off from something that you do once a month? I mean, we did three episodes in I August. Don't, I don't we think did three true. episodes in July. We did. We, we did, did I two think, in August. 10 episodes. I think. Including this one. So tired. Um, <sighs> Look, we're going to talk about this. I don't think I want to do any more of these episodes during <laughs> September. <laughs> I, it's like, not a terrible idea. I mean, we'll say that like this is the last episode of season one, and then season two starts in right, October, right which the is the primaries, when, right before the uh, right, election. and and that's when, if you remember, that's when we started our when we started the show. So, so, so this will be an eleven month a year uh, show. Take September off every year. How did this get made? Does that? How did this get made? Takes January. Did it really? Yeah. Have you not noticed? They take January. No, I didn't notice. That. They might not have in recent years. In in the last couple of years, they might not have, but they used to. Um, welcome to Night Vale, which is obviously a produced podcast and requires like writers and requires voice actors and stuff like that. So I'm, it's funny you're asking me this though, because I was just recently reading about the idea of. of either doing seasons or just the idea of just simply, yeah, like, you know, if it's okay to take a little time off here and there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not against the idea. I just, I want to make sure that we don't just stop it all together. Time! <laughs> time for everything. <laughs> Points West.